kind of follow up with something that Tessa was mentioning just a moment ago. Um, back in the 90s, uh, I went to a conference, and uh, it was basically an apologetics conference. And, and basically, the whole premise of the conference was to talk about how Christianity and what was going on with Christianity here in the USA. And uh, they were making some comparisons with Europe, what was going on there. And, and they used a continuum between zero and ten. Ten is someone coming to know the Lord, or Lord and Savior. So they came to, to know Jesus. Zero was basically, they had no idea, had never even heard of the name Jesus. And what was interesting is, in the, this was back in the 90s. I mean, it's hard to believe that the 90s was at a minimum 25 years ago. Does that not blow your mind? But, but back in the 90s, they said America is probably on the continuum between zero and 10. America is probably at a four, Okay. America, just a previous generation before that was at seven. Now, here's what that would mean. That would mean if you engage, if you engage someone with a, 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 the whole idea of what it means to come to know Jesus as the Lord and Savior, the gap you had to make up was between seven and ten because they already had much of the formational beliefs about who God is. It was already there. Well, back in the 90s, America was at four. Okay, now we live in what's called the Bible Belt. You're like, how is that possible? Go somewhere else in the USA and you'll see. But what she's talking about is something that, that really, I mean, except for those villages way out there that have never been reached, she's talking about people in the mainstream of civilization in which the Swedish people are at zero. That blows my mind to think that there's people out there in the mainstream of civilization, who've never heard the name of Jesus or have not, they may have heard the name, but they have no idea really who he truly is. Now, let me tell you something even sadder than that. I believe America is really, really less than four because there's so many different concept, misconceptions about who Jesus is here in the USA. They have all these ideas. Basically, what we've done here in America, we're so bold that we basically create Jesus in our own image, how we want to see him, give him certain attributes, withhold attributes that, that we don't want to see in him. And so I believe it's even less than that, really, when it comes down to it. So we got our work cut out for us when it comes to evangelism, not only in Sweden, but here in the USA, and I hope that Lord will continue to use our church to help make him known, either through people like Tessa or through what God is doing here. Well, today we begin our summer series, Joyride. Now, let me just say how this came about. So we were sitting there, and Gary and I and Jonathan, the teaching pastors, were sitting there talking about the new summer series, and hey, what can we do with it? What kind of, how can you give a title to a whole book in the Bible? And the youngest pastor on our staff, I'll let you fill in the gap who that is, basically said, let's call it Joyride. And I thought, man, that's an excellent title for the sermon. And then I went and I looked up the word this week. When all the stuff has been done, and I looked it up, I didn't know Joyride actually had a definition. And it literally means to take or steal a car, <laughs> drive it recklessly, <laughs> and continue on down the journey. That's not what we're talking about, okay? 
So if you go look it up, it's not a good, a good instruction there. And, and again, the youngest pastor on staff <laughs> gave us that. Just keep that in mind. So what we're going to do is a verse-by-verse study through the book of Philippians. Look at the series introduction. We all have a fundamental emotional need for joy in our lives, yet many of us do not experience it. Life without joy has proven to be overwhelming and even oppressive. That being understood, the presence of joy in our lives is not determined by our circumstances, but in the person of Jesus Christ. And then I want to give you a definition, and one I've given you before, but this is a good definition of what joy is. Joy is the unshakable assurance that God is in control of all the details of our lives, the confidence that ultimately we can trust God in everything that comes into our lives, and the determined purpose to praise Him in all things. Every bit of this is biblical. Every bit of this shows you a different side of what joy is. And really, you can't take one out and have the true definition of joy. All the things I just gave you gives you the full biblical picture of what joy is all about. So, this definition, here's what you got to keep in mind, has nothing to do with feelings, but everything to do with faith and promise. When you, walk, when you talk about joy... Really, when you think about it, you say, okay, let's have a conversation about joy. Let's do it from the pulpit. Let's talk about it in church. Let's talk about it for a long time. You turn to the book of Philippians. It's all about it. Paul, in four chapters, is going to mention the idea of joy 16 times. That, that's amazing when you think about it. So really, if you were to say, okay, what is the theme of the book of Philippians. Paul probably wouldn't give it the title Joyride. We did. <laughs> but he would definitely say it is joy. It is joy. So turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Now, now here's what you got to keep in mind. This, this is the part that should blow your mind. What you need to realize is that when Paul writes this, he's not taking a vacation on the Mediterranean Sea when he writes this. He's literally in prison. And what we know about him is the fact that he really doesn't know if he's ever going to get out. The thought of it is he, he gives the idea of his wishes in the, in the text itself. He talks about this. He says, I don't think this will come to my end, basically. But there's really no security in that other than the fact that there's something that he knows that God may not be through with him yet. But he could have been facing execution while there in that prison. And yet, he writes the most joyful book probably ever written. So but what I want to do today is I want us to talk about how do you have joy in the darkest moments of your life. And so what we're going to do today, we're going to, I'm going to give you an overview of the whole book. I'm going to, uh, we're going to kind of give you all the overview. And then starting next week, we're going to go verse by verse through the book itself. So six ways to activate joy. I chose that word activate because it really tells us what it's really all about. So the word activate literally means to bring to, to, bring to life something that's already there, something that's already available. So when you activate something, everything that's needed to have it is already in place. You just activate it. Now, here's why I say that. Jesus said this. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you. 
Literally, the whole idea of joy, to, to be present in one's life, basically. And here's what you got to understand about what he wrote here. Just before that, he talked about the Holy Spirit coming and living within the believer. And he talked about how the, the Holy Spirit is going to guide, teach, convict, all these different things. And then he brings this into play. And he says, and my joy will remain in you. It's almost like the whole concept of the Holy Spirit being in you is maybe a source of joy for the believer. Now, what do we know about the Holy Spirit? He resides in the believer. So here's what we got to think about. If he resides in the believer and he is of joy, guess what's already there? Joy is already there. It just needs to be activated. So he says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you. That means present in you. And that your joy may be full. That means that it may be complete and overflowing. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you are sitting here this morning and, and your joy is complete and overflowing? And the person beside you can, it's so real, the person beside you can sense it. Not many of us, huh? Not many of us. Because we, we really don't understand the concept of joy. We tie too much to happiness. Some of you have happiness in your heart right now because he, here's what you have on the agenda this afternoon. No work. I'm going to do what God said. I'm going to rest. I'm going to lay on the couch. I mean, it's going to be a beautiful moment. You know what I'm saying? So, so we think about these things. We think about circumstances. We think about what we get to do in the future. Maybe vacations coming up. We have all these things that we focused on, and we would say, that brings me joy. No, that brings you happiness. Joy is something different. Everything. Here's what this literally means. This verse I just shared with you. Everything you need to live the, guy, the, to live the life God desires you to have, you already have in you. It's already there. It comes by name of the Holy Spirit. And here's what we need to understand as it relates to this. His love envelops us. We know that from Scripture. His Word instructs us. His Spirit guides us. We have everything necessary to see the means of Scripture to come alive in our hearts. That we can see peace that surpasses all understanding because of those things. We can live there. We can have joy no matter what the circumstance, because it's already there. It just needs to be activated. Now, I want you to help me with this song. I don't sing much. Don't plan on doing much after I do this. But how many of you can finish this, this, this song for me? I've got the joy, 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 joy. Now, think about that. That little song tells it all. Where's it at? It's in your heart. It's there, waiting to be activated. So the first way to activate, uh, activate, uh, activate joy in you is, number one, invest in the lives of others. You, you literally have to take the eyes off yourself and focus on others. Now, how do we know that? Because that's exactly what Paul's going to tell us. So Paul, think about it. He was joyful because he was unselfish. He invested in the lives of others. That means his whole focus on life wasn't about himself. You see, here's what I've noticed about me. When I start focusing on my life and the concept and everything through myself, that's when I worry. That's when I start focusing on the wrong things. That's when I'm not living the Word of God many times. 
That's when I'm not willing to give of myself because it's an internal thing. And I start investing in myself and what I can get and what life is for me. But Paul says in Philippians 1, look at verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. What does he mean? Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. He's saying you people are a joy to me. Now, let me ask you a question. When you think of people, do they bring joy to your heart? Some of you are like, not all of them. Like some of you literally right now, not that child I brought here to this church this morning. No joy today. <laughs> Again, we got to focus on this. But Paul is basically saying he loves these people. You can hear it in the language. Look at verse 5. For your fellowship in the gospel for the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who had begun a good work in you, he's going to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, until Jesus comes back. Just as it is right for me to think this of all you all, because I have you in my heart. You're close to me. You're, 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 you bring me joy. When I think of you, I have joy. When I think about the possibility of investing in your life, I have joy. And he, he's saying this in verse 7. He says, I'm in chains, basically. And in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you're all partakers with me of grace. He's not on some coast of the Mediterranean Sea on vacation. No, he's in chains. He's in prison. And yet, what's, what's the theme of what he's talking about? The joy of those people outside of that prison and the joy they bring to him. For God is my witness how I greatly long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your, your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. That you may approve the things that are excellent. That you may be sincere and without defense till the day of Christ. So he comes back. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Do you hear what you're hearing? Do you see what you're hearing here? No, never mind. What you have here. <laughs> what you have here is Paul. Now, now, let's put ourselves in this situation. We send a letter to some people. This is how it would probably sound if we were in Paul's situation. Y'all need to pray for me. I'm in prison. I'm here because of Jesus. I mean, it's all about Jesus, isn't it? But you need to pray for me. You need to pray. You literally need to pray for me. That he'll. Wouldn't it be more like that if we sent the letter? I mean, let's just be honest. But what is he doing? He's praying for them. He's letting them know how he's praying for them and the love he has for them and the fact that he's praying that God will continue to allow him to make an investment in their lives. His whole focus wasn't even on himself. It was on them, those that he loved and invested in. So if you want to have continuous joy in your life, here's the secret. Get your, give your life away in helping others. Stop focusing on your problems, your desires, and start focusing on helping others. Become other-centered. Jesus said, literally, the more you give your life away, the more you'll find it. The more you'll find it. Paul said this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. You hear the love. So the question is this. Can you say that others 
bring joy to your life. Now, again, some of you are saying, who are you referring to, right? We limit that to certain people, don't we? But Paul, I mean, was he strong at times? Did he have to get in people's faces? Absolutely. But still, you see the love he had for people even through that. He was others-centered, and that brought joy to his life. It activated joy in his life. Secondly, a way to activate your joy. Capitulate to the purposes of God. Capitulate. Now, some of you are like, that's a big word. Well, let me tell you what it means. Capitulate means to surrender unconditionally, to give up resisting. How many of you, if you're very honest with yourself, today would you, you've come, you may come to realize that you need to quit resisting? You know that he's asking for surrender, right? Surrender to his ways. Surrender to what he desires for you. And yet he's saying these things will activate this joy. So think about Paul. He's on his road to Damascus. He's, he's out to destroy the church as much as he possibly can. He's on his way there. And he has an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. Maybe you know the story, right? It's in Acts chapter 8. And he's there. And all of a sudden... He finds himself, and there's two questions he's asked at that moment. Lord, who are you? And Lord, what do you want me to do? Those two things came up. And even the resurrected Lord saying, why do you continue to resist me? Do you you remember that being in the conversation? And yet Paul goes from resisting to surrender. And again, what's the result? This joy seems to be activated in his life. Look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. He says, For I know this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But with all boldness as always, so now also Christ be magnified in my body, whether by my life or by death. However this turns out, Christ is going to be magnified in and through me. You know that God desires the same of us? That he be magnified? It literally means this, that we make Jesus big in the eyes of others. We make him big. That's what bringing glory to him is all about. Making him big. Next, another way to activate joy is rise above the past. For some of you, you you can't get past the past. (laughs) And the first thing there is debilitating regrets. I mean, you're literally stuck where you are because of your past. You can't let it go. Maybe it's unforgiveness towards someone. Maybe you can't forgive yourself. And you're sitting here, and you've been sitting here in the same place. It's literally debilitated you. You haven't grown. You haven't moved past this moment. There was something that came into your life you couldn't forgive yourself for. You couldn't forgive someone else for. And everything came to a screeching halt. And the joy that God desires to be activated in you hasn't been there in a long time. A long time. You see, we all have regrets. As I get older, and some of you may laugh at this. Some of you can identify with this. The further we go in life, the more we tend to look back. And we got to be careful with those looking backs because they can, they can debilitate us. When I look back, I see a lot of regrets. How many of you got regrets back there? 
Every one of you should raise your hand. We all have regrets. There are things back there we wish we had paid attention to. There's things back there that we wish had never been set in motion. There's things back there that literally haunt us. But what do we know about what Christ provides for us? Forgiveness of sin. The Bible says sin that is blotted out. Blotted out. He no longer holds it against us. It was all taken on by Jesus himself. Why are we continuing to hold on to it? Why are we squelching the joy that God desires to come forth in our life? And for many of us, it's because of these regrets. Paul had his own regrets. Philippians chapter 3, look at verse 6. He says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning, uh, concerning the righteousness, which is the law of blameless. Skip down to verse 13. Brethren... I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me. Out of everyone that I know that I read in Scripture, he had to have some of the biggest regrets ever. His goal before his encounter with Jesus was to destroy the bride of Jesus himself, the church. That was his aim. That was where, where he was finding his passion. His zeal was all about obliterating Christianity before it got going. He wanted to squelch it. He wanted to put it down. And all of a sudden, now he's writing Philippians, the joy, the joy uh, book, and he's talking about there are those things that, back, that are back there that could debilitate me. There are those things back there that would be hard to get past. I used to kill the very people that I love now. And what does he say about it? Forgetting those things which are behind. Now, did he really forget it? No, he's not allowing those things, however, to dictate where he is today. To, to, quit, to, to activate his joy, he had to lay those things behind him. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. Now, now, are those sins still in your past? Yeah, you, you've got the memory of those sins. It's all back there. But one thing that should bring you joy is the fact that they have been forgiven and they will not be held against you in the future because of the work of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. And then he says this, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That's how you activate joy, to realize that that past has been forgiven. There's no longer guilt associated with it going forward when it comes to God himself because of what Jesus Christ did on our behalf. That should activate your joy because of what Christ has done. Next, rise above the past, debilitating regrets, but also satisfying rewards. Resisting or resting on past victories. There's a lot of people who do that. I, I, I remember hearing someone say the other day, you know, uh, I, I served the Lord for a long time, and uh, I'm going to just turn it over to the young people. You said we reach young people if we made some changes. Let them have at it for a while. Listen, if you're still breathing, breathing the only way you're going to have true joy is by serving in the church, serving God. That's where it comes from. And for some of you, what you've done is you, you not only retired from serving, you could possibly be retired from joy <laughs> because it's associated with helping build the kingdom. It has a life purpose that's out there. But some of us, we're just satisfied. We're just satisfied. 
We, 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 we did all we could do back then. And No. What does he say? Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these I've counted loss for Christ, yet I, indeed I also count all those things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, but those things, you know what? I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Skip down to verse 13. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. I'm not there yet. But one thing I do, I'm forgetting those things which are behind me. He just spoke about that. But what am I doing now? I'm reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I'm looking forward to the challenges that lie ahead that God has for me in the future. He's saying that's what activates joy. So the best thing we can do as it relates to joy is what God told the nation of Israel. In Isaiah 43, here's what he says. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. And of course, let me just tell you this. If you're part of our Wednesday night study, you know that the nation of Israel failed over and over and over and over again. <laughs> they never got it right if you read the Old Testament. And what is he saying? Forget those things that are out there. We're going to, I'm going to, what does he say? See, I'm doing a new thing. A new thing. Now, this doesn't mean God changed his mind. Doesn't mean, well, that didn't work. Let's try something new. That, no, he, he, he's sovereign. He knows all that stuff. What he's talking about is hold on to your seatbelt. Or things are getting ready to move. He's ready to do a new work, a new challenge. This clearly means that complacency is a joy killer. The starting point of joy is to let go of the past, the regrets and the rewards, and look to a new day, a new work, and possibly a new challenge in life. In life. And that's what he's talking about here. Another way to activate joy, trust God with the future. Trust God with the future. Now let me just say this. Worry and joy cannot coexist. If you're worrying, you're not joying. <laughs> it's not going to happen. They can't coexist. Now, right now, let's, let's make it confession time. How many of you are currently worried about something? Yeah, look at all these. You sinners, sinners, all of you. You joyless group of people. We do. We hold on to those things. We, the future, we, we need to trust him with it. Worry only makes our perceptions and our emotional state worse. How many of you can agree with that? Even those of you who raise your hand, we can agree with that, right? I mean, we look with worry. We look through that lens. Our perception is going to be different. Our emotional state is definitely not going to be healthy. And that's what he's talking about. So the more you worry about something, the bigger it becomes in your mind and in your heart. And really, when you think about it, worry is just as useless as regret. In and of yourself, here's what you need to understand. You can't change the past. You can't do it. It's done. Move on. And you cannot know, and you cannot know for certainty the future. Right? You can't know it. Not with certainty. It's, it's there. So the only way you can do, the, do it is to trust him. 
He holds everything. He tells you everything you need. He wants to activate those things that are already there to bring you to the place where you can live daily with him. Someone told me this years ago, and it kind of stuck with me, that when you, the Bible talks about transformation, he, they said transformation can only, only is played out in the present. That's true. Something that's happened a long time ago, it's not transformed back there, it's transformed right here. And it's not something we hope in the future will be transformed. No, the reality of transformation happens right now. And let me tell you this, you have everything you already are equipped. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're already equipped with what it takes for transformation. I hear people all the time. I, I was watching a movie the other day, and, and this person said this. And, and I kind of get where they're coming from, but here's what they said. They said, you know, it was an older person. They said, you know one thing I've learned about life? No one truly changes. And that's true if you don't know Jesus. I, I don't know. that. that I think you just kind of live for you or whatever it is, you've got those things in motion. But I don't care how old you are. The Bible says our lives can be transformed. And that always works in the present. It's not looking back. You can't fix that. But can, you, can that bring you to the realization that transformation needs to happen? Absolutely. And when it happens, it will affect your future for the good. The transformation there. But it all comes about through trust in him. So how do you do this? Number one, living daily. Verse, uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, the last part. Reaching forward to those things that are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 14 tells me this, that there is something out there that awaits us that God desires for us. And it will only come by way of happening if we activate the things that are already there, the Word of God, the Holy Spirit directing and leading, the presence of the Lord, all those things are right there. But it's literally one day at a time. A person reaching forward toward the prize is not worrying. If you are worrying, it means you're probably not trusting. You're not trusting. And some of you may be offended by that. And some of you would probably at this point say, okay, I'm not worrying. I'm just overly concerned. <laughs> Next, trust God with the future by focusing on eternity. Chapter 3 again, verse 20, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus, who will what? He's going to transform my lowly body. All these things that are so messed up, how many of you agree there's a lot of stuff here messed up? How many of you agree, however, the Holy Spirit of God wants to bring those transformations that come from us through the Word of God? And by the way, let me tell you something about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will never say something to you that's contrary to the Word of God. So if you're sitting there and you're basing your life on, on, on what the Holy Spirit's telling you, and it's something other than the Word of God, that didn't come from the Word of God. That didn't come from the Holy Spirit. His Word, He's always there to back what the Word of God has to say. And so when we have this last final transformation, it will be this lowly body. Now, why is our body considered lowly? Well, I could have everybody over the age of 80 stand up. We could prove it to you, right? I mean, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> really, even 50. I mean, I'm 58. Can you not tell? <laughs> transformation needs to happen. 
And the point I'm trying to make there is that there's going to be this last transformation in which everything is going to be a reality. So it's not just something that has to be activated while we're here. Later, it's going to encompass us. There will be no worrying. There won't be anything associated with it. A whole new reality awaits us. So we're not living for tomorrow. We're living for eternity. And what does that mean? We're living with eternity in mind. That's the goal. So when it hurts, when we get the bad health report, we got to continue to remember what? Eternity. When we deal with some devastating news about a child or a grandchild, yeah, it breaks our hearts, but guess what? There's eternity. It's that perspective we've got to have. So many people say, well, I'm just living for the weekend. I think there's even a song like that. Sounds something country, doesn't it? Anyway, but, but, but we're really not living for the weekend. We're living for eternity. Another way to activate joy is live victoriously in the present. We can only change and influence the present. Regretting yesterday and worrying about tomorrow must be replaced with focusing on the present. Now, in this day of economic hardship for many, the turmoil we see in our world, the evil that's in our streets, and the dissatisfaction with the political climate, it's difficult to focus on what is good and what is positive. How many of you agree with that? It's difficult. But what are you choosing to focus on? You can choose to focus on what is good. There was a friend of mine from many years ago. We've kind of lost touch in some ways, but every time I got around this guy, he just kind of, and I appreciated his friendship so much, he, he, he literally changed my perception of things every time I met with the guy. And I would go in there and I'd say, can you believe this world? Can you believe what's on the news right now? Can you believe they're doing this now and they hadn't been doing that and they're doing this? How many of you been talking like that recently. I would go in there loaded for gun, getting on my soapbox, trying to whine and complain and gripe. And and he'd just look at me with a big old smile on his face. I just wanted to knock that thing. I wanted him to get in there with me. But you know what he'd say? He'd start off every time, isn't God good? Yeah, he's good, but what's that guy doing what I'm talking about? (laughs) No, that's all it needs to be said. Ain't God good? And, and you know what? By the end of the conversation, I brought all the world news to the forefront. And you know what he would always bring? The Word of God. You know what God showed me this morning? He showed me this, 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 and this. He came in smiling. He smiled through my whining. And he left smiling. Because his, the dictation, his perception of the world... He didn't get it off a news outlet. He got it straight from the Word of God. And it was a source of encouragement to him. And guess what? Before I left, I was both convicted, challenged, and wanting more of what he had. How many of you, you get where I'm coming at it from? We got to realize, we got to live victoriously in the present. So how do you do that? Well, first of all, don't let people steal your joy. Anybody ever stole your joy? Some of you on the way here, someone stole your joy. Kid in the back seat. Person in the car in front of you. Had to get that in there. (laughs) 
Look, look what he says in chapter 4, verse 2. He's talking about these women that can't seem to get along. And, and Paul reminds them, hey, hey, guys, let me just tell you this. Their names are written in the book of life. That means they were believers. And then he goes into verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Here, here's what Paul was saying. Paul was saying, when in that moment, when in that moment when there appears to be chaos, and these two women were having a hard time with one another, he's basically saying, be careful with your expectations of others. Try to imitate God's patience and mercy with others. Mm. Is God patient? Aren't you glad he's patient? Let that be the same nature as you. The more mature you grow as a Christian, the more patient you become with others and their faults. My wife will tell you, I am a very patient person with most people. Most people. Probably all you in here, okay? And, and I know we all need mercy. Listen, when I go before the Lord in my prayer life and I, I, I lay myself before him, listen, he reveals, the Holy Spirit reveals those weaknesses in me, those things that need to change, those, those things that have no business in my life. I can't go out of there with all pried up and stoked up with my religious fervor and say, how dare you? Look at you. You're pathetic. I can't do that because I see my own sin. He brings it to me. And if I go out there, I need to bring the mercy and the patience that God has with me for others. And my wife will tell you, he pretty much has that, except for when he gets behind the steering wheel in a car. <laughs> I know you're sick of hearing it. That's how it plays out for me. I don't know what happens. I was NASCAR fan as a young man. It goes all the way back. I'm always in a race. I got to get there first. We're going to pull over and use the bathroom. Are you serious? All these people I pass, I've got to go repass and... <laughs> I don't have patience with her taking me off the road. I don't have patience with the cars in my way. But the thing is, the thing is, I, I can start off real nice driving. She says, yeah, we're going on vacation. We're going to go down. And she knows within minutes, boom. <laughs> Number two, don't let worry steal your joy. Oh, by the way, I've never got mad at a car that's in front of me with our sticker on it, by the way. <laughs> Never have. Never have. I'm serious. I don't know what it is, but I'm like, blessed her heart. Who in the world is that? All of you going to go take the sticker off your car, aren't you? Don't let worry steal your joy. We've already talked about it. Look what he says in 4-7, I mean 4-6. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be known to God. Turn it over to him. And you know what will happen? Oh, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. You're going to sit there, and you're going to be amazed at the peace you have in the worst of circumstances. It will blow your mind, is what this is saying, and will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. Next, don't let negativity steal your joy. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brother, whether things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, focus on these things. Focus on these things. Think about it. They will supersede. When you begin to focus on the good things, what God is bringing to you, that's when they supersede our circumstances in the present, our regrets in the past, and our worries and fears in the future. 
The present is the agent of change in our lives. Transformation happens in the present. But the question I have for you this morning is, you're sitting here today, what has stolen your joy? And for some of you, let's be honest, it got stolen 25 years ago, and you've never been able to get past something. For some of you, it may not be that long. For some of you, it may be as you walked in here today. I don't know what it is. But man, wouldn't you like to activate joy? Lastly, the last way to activate joy is choose to be content. Philippians 4.11, not that I speak in regard to, uh, to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am, what? To be content. I know how to be a base. That means I have nothing. I know, how to, uh, I know how to abound. That means have everything. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned to be both full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. He's saying I've been there. And it's been tested. I can have joy when it's bountiful. And I can have joy when it's not there. When nothing's there. So here's the application. Paul says in Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always in everything. Again, I will say rejoice. This is going to sound insensitive, but let me just leave you with this. Joy is a decision. It's a decision. You could come up to me and say, but you don't know what I'm faced with. Now, you, you can choose to have joy still. You say, how do you do that? How does that even happen? I, the only thing I can tell you is I've seen people have it. I've seen people on their deathbeds. I've, I'm serious. I've seen it. And they are joy. There's joy there. It blows my mind. It surpasses all understanding when I'm sitting there witnessing it. But it is a blessing. It is a great encouragement to me personally. It's a testimony of how they trust the Savior when there's joy in spite. You are as, a joy, as joyful as you choose to be. Based on these passages, if you are discouraged, it is because you are choosing to be discouraged. Choose joy. How does that happen? It has to be activated activated the holy spirit of god's there the word of god's there the presence of the lord is there if you know jesus as your lord and savior those things are present those things are coming guess what everything you need to have joy in, in no matter what circumstance is right there it's available to you you just have to activate it you got to activate it so everything's settled in the heart is revealed by the tongue let me say this, a person with a harsh tongue has an angry heart. A person with a negative tongue has a fearful heart. A person with an overactive tongue has an unsettled heart. A person with a boasting tongue has an insecure heart. A person with a filthy tongue has an impure heart. A person with a critical tongue has a bitter heart. On the other hand, a person who speaks encouragement has a grateful heart. A person who speaks gently has a loving heart. A person who speaks truthfully has an honest heart. And then lastly, a person who is grateful has a joyful heart. Gratitude and joy are all right there together. So the question this morning is this. What is the condition of your heart? And based on what I just shared, if we sat down and had a conversation, it wouldn't take me long to figure that out. Because as the mouth speaks, it speaks of the condition of the heart, of what's there. 
Would you pray with me? Would you stand with me? We're just going to have a, a, a prayer and what we dismiss. Father, we just come to you right now. We just thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that everything that we need to see the, your word come alive in us is already implanted in our hearts. Father, help us to be serious students of your word, to, to know you, to understand you more fully as we read your word, engage in your word, Father. But Father, I also pray that we will understand how the Holy Spirit works in our lives and that he can literally bring us to a place of joy that will surpass all understanding, a place of peace that surpasses all understanding. Help us to realize that, Father. I thank you for those that are in my life that model that, that challenges, that challenge me in that. And Father, again, we just thank you for who you are and what you desire for us. In Jesus' name. Thank you for being here this morning. Don't forget, Tessa's back there in the back. You're dismissed. Thank you.